0: Welcome to Rewired, a podcast where we discuss our own journeys with an eating disorder and how we rewired our brains away from an ED mindset to full
1: recovery. We'll also be joined by inspirational guests who share their experience, knowledge and advice to give hope and show that recovery is possible. Hi, I'm Sophia. And I'm Meg. Welcome to the Rewired podcast. Hello, Sophia. So lovely to see you. So good to see you, Meg. How are you doing? Yeah. All right. Thank you. Okay. Um, I'm really interested in today's topic. It's about exercise, which wasn't a huge component of my eating disorder, but I know it was for you, Sophia, it was a big struggle for you and a big element of your recovery. So I feel like I'm going to learn a lot from talking to you about this. Well, I've um, learned enough, enough from your videos so now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's good.
1: But yeah, thank you for like being willing to do it and to be open and talk about your experiences. Do you want to just start there? Like what did exercise look like for you and why was it problematic?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The exercise component of my eating disorder was definitely the hardest part of my eating disorder to recover from. So I'm really glad we're talking about it today. And hopefully if somebody's going through this, this might just make them realize that they are suffering from an issue with exercise and maybe they'll reach out. So I'm going to talk about some of the red flags that came up um, in terms of exercise and Hopefully it's helpful for other people. So the first element that when I look back was really uh, a problem was the fact that it was so compulsive. So it didn't matter the weather. It didn't matter what was going on in my life. You know, at one point I was running in the hail. Nothing could stop the fact that I needed to exercise. So it was a very compulsive and it wasn't ever a check in with myself. How am I feeling? Do I want to do it? No, it was, I had to do it. It had to be done or it was almost like the day was a complete write-off. So that was the first aspect. The next aspect was it was very number focused. So it was very much about calories burnt, how many loops have I done, um, how many miles had I run. Whereas if you go to like a group exercise class, you don't know the numbers or you're going for a walk with a friend, where you're not tracking it on your watch, um, with how many steps you've done, it's a very different feel. Um, it's almost like I was constantly in a competition with myself because I had to do better than the day before. And the day before it's like how with eating, we say like the goalpost constantly moves. It's the same with the exercise. It's not like, Oh, if I run this amount, I'm going to be happy and I'm going to keep running this amount. No, it's, it always changes. Um, Mm. so that, that's, uh, another aspect again it was very solo based so again a lot with eating disorders it kind of isolates us with the exercise again I was not interested in a group class I was not interested even in going for a walk with another person because I didn't want them to slow me down it was very much I wanted to be my own zone
1: yeah that sounds really isolating
0: really isolating uh like I was literally I was talking to my husband the other day about it and we were thinking back about when I we'd go for a walk in the park and I'd pace on without him um because I didn't want to my pace to be slowed down and it's just it's so awkward to think about
1: now it makes me feel sad to hear that like I guess I can see the parallel with eating disorders not being aligned to your values like I know you as a person you love your husband you love your friends you love people you love your relationships and connection and being present and I guess this is another way that your behaviors did not align to being that person
0: exactly exactly And like one of my favorite things to do when I go back home is to like go for a walk with my mom because we just walk in the countryside we chat about everything and when I had my eating disorder it was kind of like I was so like you know from the morning very anxious I wanted to go on my walk I need to go on my walk if she'd go for a cup of tea or have breakfast or something I felt like time was ticking I hadn't been I needed to go at a certain pace and now it's like so much more relaxed it's like do you want to go do you not want to go should we just sit here have a chat do you want to go for a walk it, there's no timing mm. so it's that flexibility isn't it and you're right relationships are so important to me and it's uh it, yeah it's so sad to think back on
1: that situation that's weird as well because I mean, this is me imagining what it feels like, but I imagine you're doing it because you think it's feeling good or it's going to make you feel good. But the way you're describing it does not sound fun to me at all. Like the mismatch between, I guess, like what's driving you to do it and how what the actual impact it's having on your life.
0: I know. I think this is the thing, isn't it? You feel like exercise can boost your mood and it can in balance. um, But when you've got a problem, it, it really can't. And I think that it felt good to me afterwards, maybe because I was so anxious before. So it's almost like it had been done. It was tick. I don't even know if it was a good thing for me. I don't even know if it was an activity that made me feel good, actually. It was something on my to-do list that was stressing me out because I didn't know whether I'd perform well enough or get it done in the way that I wanted to. So when it was done, it was ticked. Um, but obviously like if it hadn't been done, if I couldn't do it because life happens or maybe I didn't, I don't know, go as fast or as far as I wanted to, it stressed me out so much. It was like my day was over. My day was a write-off. So everything kind of revolved around this one thing. And obviously I overexercised so much to the point that I did have injuries and there were days where I literally, at one point I couldn't actually walk. So I couldn't do anything and I would just cry it was just a really really dark time in my life actually
1: oh Sophia
0: Mm, I know (sighs)
1: what so what was it kind of like driving it then so you're saying like there was that trying to get that feel good from it or maybe even just avoiding feeling bad like you feel bad if you didn't do it so it's more like the comp- like needing to avoid that bad feeling versus seeking a good feeling I don't know. yeah
0: I think you're you're so right like it was just it was my only way to deal with anxiety and like you said like I kind of felt even if nothing had happened it was my only way to deal with anything anxious that might come up in the day I felt like if I hadn't exercised if something anxiety provoking came up in the day I couldn't deal with it whereas if I had exercised okay, something bad has happened, but at least I've exercised. I don't even know if that makes sense. I
1: can really relate to that because if I think about that, like from my own experience, it would be like, I'm okay as long as I've eaten X. I'm okay as long as I, whatever, eating, eating disorder tick box, like fit into clothes, weigh a certain amount, whatever it is. And it was like my whole mood was tied to, whatever aspect of eating disorder and nothing else real going on in life actually even mattered because it was all down to like what did I weigh that dictated my mood for the day
0: yeah exactly see there's so many overlaps with eating disorders isn't there even though there's so many different nuances to it and so many different kind of different strands to an eating disorder but it overlaps um and that yeah
1: And like, so what kind of was driving it then? Was it it that fixation on numbers or calories or weight or your body shape? Or what was your kind of purpose behind the behaviors?
0: So I think it started that way. It started with wanting to look a certain way, have my body a certain way, being fit, healthy. So orthorexia was a big part of my eating disorder. So if I exercised, I worked out, I'd be healthy, I'd be fit, despite the fact that I lost my periods. I was cold all the time. So that was, um, I got osteoporosis in the meantime. So there was plenty of reasons to suggest that my physical health was not fantastic. Um, but I felt like I was being healthy. And then it kind of as the eating disorder went on, it was literally just to deal with mood and anxiety. I didn't have a menu of options that I could choose from. I'm feeling anxious. I'm going to choose this today. I feel like this today. Today, I feel like I don't know, meditating, I feel like reading, I feel like calling a friend, there was none of these kind of options, there was one option, you exercise until you're exhausted, that kind of thing. So um, I think that's, that's where it, it went to. And when I couldn't do it anymore, when I couldn't physically do it anymore, I had nothing else to turn to, I didn't have any tools and techniques. So that was a big part of my treatment with my therapist, our therapist, was to find different ways to deal with that anxiety that was not related to movement. And at one point in my treatment, I did have to completely go cold turkey with the exercise so that I could figure out different ways to feel happy and to realize that if you don't do anything, it's okay. Your day is not a write-off. You still have happy moments. If you have hard moments, there are other ways to deal with it.
1: Mm -hmm. Imagine though, that wasn't the case at the beginning. Was it like almost felt worse before it got better like I feel like the first time you challenge things like that it almost confirms to you why you have to do it like see I do feel terrible this is exactly why I have to engage in this behavior whatever that behavior is is it the same kind of thing like you had to push through the initial feelings before you got to a place of being like oh I can actually be okay
0: oh it was awful at the beginning it was awful it's actually the hardest part of my recovery was stopping it because it was so ingrained in all aspects of my life. It was even like a routine. There was even a time that I used to exercise. And so it was a really tough, and and, and obviously as well, there's so much messaging around it in society. There's so many people that are exercising. So you, you're constantly, I felt constantly triggered as well. Mm. Um, so it was really, really difficult, but it's kind of like the longer you do it, the same with eating. If you keep repeating, the more and more you do it, it gets easier until the point where you don't even notice that you haven't done it or, you know, you realize that it's so not needed in your day. And I honestly, if somebody's listening to this and can't imagine, I was
1: going to say, at I that bet point, you, yeah. I bet you I never, never thought that at the beginning. Never,
0: never, never. I, I just think thought I could it was never, ever going to be possible. And um, yeah, and I think just keep, you've got to keep hold of your why. Why are you stopping exercise? You know, why, why are you doing it? And for me, it was, I didn't want my life to be dictated by this. I felt like if I traveled, I had to choose a hotel that had a particular gym. If I went to somebody's house, like there were plans for the day. It had to be around exercise, it had to be around movement. Um imagine Meg like if we had if I hadn't recovered before having my children like I could do any exercise after having a baby. Like, and that would have robbed that moment, that special moment with my baby. If I was thinking, oh my God, I'm not in a gym. I can't go to the gym for however many months whilst you're recovering. Cause after you have a child, you can't engage in exercise for your safety. So I'm so, so grateful, but I did have to keep going back to my incentives. I did have to keep going back to my why. I did have to keep reaching out to people when it was tough moments. and, And yeah, they were all really helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. Was it a bit like using your incentive, like holding your why close to mind helped you to stop, but still the feelings like nothing's a magic fix, is it? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine you held your why and so you stopped and felt great about it because your why was there and you totally connected to why you were doing it. So it all felt fine.
0: No, absolutely. Like I had to connect to my why. It still felt bad, but obviously you can say, okay, this feels bad, but I'm doing it for this reason. And then I would distract and because I used to exercise at a particular time each day, I would make sure that I filled that part of my day with something else, something that made me feel happy, joyful, uh, at times productive, because exercising and made me feel productive. So in the beginning, it was very intentional that I was filling that time with something. So at the end of it, I thought, OK, I haven't exercised, but I've achieved this. I haven't exercised, but I've connected with this person, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't exercised, but I've journaled about how I'm feeling and that's helping me on my recovery. Still didn't feel great. Lots of distraction. But as it continued, I didn't need to be so intentional about it. I didn't need something to actually fill that space. I could just go with the flow and.
1: Okay. Yeah. So did you notice with time that those feelings of anxiety or like your skin crawling or. You know, like that so uncomfortable in your own body. Did you feel that getting less kind of like day by day with stopping?
0: Yeah, I think exactly. That is exactly how how it felt, to be honest. That idea of skin crawling is um, really spot on. Yeah, it definitely. I think your body gets used to it on a physical is your brain. You're getting used to the fact that you're not doing it at a certain time and realizing that you don't need it um, to achieve to you kind of like that neuro, you know, everything's being kind of rewired. But then on a physical level, your body is realizing you know this is not happening every day I'm not getting this rush of cortisol because that's what it is when you're exercising I'm not getting this rush of cortisol and then you as the day goes on as the weeks go on as the months go on it just kind of doesn't require that much to Mm -hmm. to you know to feel happy to and yeah those horrible sensations go
1: yeah okay so like your body rebalances your brain rewires exactly you relearn a new routine that kind of thing but all of that takes time exactly and it's gradual I guess
0: yes definitely it is gradual but you just as with all aspects of eating disorder recovery you have to surrender and trust and I think surrender trust and have hope that if you keep going it'll be okay and it'll be worth it and you have to look at other people's experiences to see that that is possible
1: did you have that feeling of like oh but it's different for me
0: oh yeah I I had no I, I really did not because you know I was I was somebody who was really into running from a young age, actually out of joy. Initially, I used to run um, at school. I was in the um, country running team. Um, So and I, you know, I was good at it. It was something I was good at. So I used to enjoy that. And as a family, we used to go for runs. You know, my mom, she's done half marathon, my sister half marathon. So we're like a family of people that love running. But yeah I think that you realize over time that's not going to be a part of you it's not something that serves you it's not something that has to be part of your identity there's other aspects of your identity there's other ways of dealing with um finding out who you are or boosting your self-esteem um and yeah that's I'm really grateful for the recovery journey for doing that because you learn so much about who you are that literally serves you I think for the rest of your life
1: Mm -hmm. oh definitely definitely when do you feel like it tipped into being a problem then? Like if you're saying your mum and your sister both do it, like you are saying before about comparison is really difficult. I feel like it must be easy to excuse, like, oh, that person's doing it, so it's fine. Or maybe even objectively, I'm not actually doing that much. Like I've got a friend who does more than me, so surely this is fine. But obviously it's so unique for every person, and if it's impairing for your life, it's too much, you know. But where, how, how did you realise that for yourself? Like what was the tip over point when it became... like an unhealthy obsession with something which is supposedly healthy
0: yeah good question yeah I mean it definitely was something that was very supported you know as a family we've always been really into kind of like exercising but they had a different relationship with it than me um, in the sense that they didn't need to do it or some members of my family didn't need to do it every day for their day to be okay they didn't need it to do it if something came into their day that they had to do they could do that it and exercise could take a back seat it kind of became more of a problem for me and this is when my eating disorder really escalated generally anyway is when I left university and I went to live by myself because I really did just you know I I over-exercised and a restricted eating because nobody was there and I could be so alone in it and do exactly what I wanted without anybody asking questions or wondering and I think yeah it just became such a part of my day that nobody else needed to know about and I think I realized that I didn't think it had become a problem at that point by the way I thought I that was just part of my routine that's what people do they go to the gym every day they exhaust themselves every day you're meant to feel a bit of pain you know all this messaging so much right
1: I think it be so toxic for you out there
0: exactly um but I think I always have realized when things have become a problem when um I my routine changes that at that particular point the first thing that had happened was that my knee dislocated because I had kind of like yeah exercised through so much and I think but by the way, like when I say how much I was exercising, a lot of people might not even think it's that much um compared to other people. Yeah,
1: that's what I'm wondering. Like with the objective thing, I can imagine if objectively you're not doing as much as other people, it can be really difficult to rationalise in your head that it's a problem. It's not an objective thing, is it? It's a very personal, like what's the hold it's got over your life? Do you still have balance in life or has it completely taken over?
0: That's exactly it. It's so subjective. What's a lot for somebody, you know, is going to be different. For you. So, for me, it's the fact that I had to do it every day. It had a hold on me, and I felt under pressure all the time to kind of live up to these expectations about how exercise should be in my life. So, I think, and also my body is different to everybody else's. It can take different amounts of stress, and my body could not take the stress that it was under. And obviously, because I was restricting that I was under fueling as well so that was not helping things so yeah I did have an injury where I couldn't walk and I had to go back home and I guess that was a first idea that things weren't great um and then like whenever I'd go on a holiday I'd be out of routine I didn't have a gym like it would just be a massive red flag that oh my gosh I'm really struggling right now I can't deal with this beforehand I think oh I can deal with it it'll be okay but the anxiety yes. and the emotions yeah and I just couldn't enjoy the holiday
1: I know what you mean like sometimes when you've got your own behaviors in place and you've got so much control it's hard to actually see there's a problem because you're controlling things you're like in a controlled state of okayness exactly. and then when something changes you're like whoa I cannot adapt to this or now I see how much I needed what I was doing Like mm. it highlights the lack of flexibility kind of thing
0: exactly exactly and yeah and also I guess living with my husband as well when we came over to Dubai he was able to see kind of like my obsession with it that I couldn't just go get up and go for breakfast no I had to you know do my own routine and that really was difficult for Mm. somebody else to see because I think when somebody else sees it you're really faced up with the fact that you're a little bit embarrassed or you know it just it feels a bit strange that you're doing it so when he saw that yeah I realized that if I'm embarrassed about it or
1: I want to hide it Mm, there must be something not quite right about it yeah that's actually something I used to think when I was um like behaviors around food I'd occasionally think what if someone could see what I was doing right now? And if I'd have been embarrassed about it, then I'm like, "Mm, there's probably something wrong with this behavior. Do you know what I mean? If someone can see me in the kitchen, I I wouldn't want to be seen doing what I was doing, then I'm probably doing something, you know.
0: That isn't going to be serving you and helping you. And yes, something that's good for you in your life. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I guess that's when it, it became an issue, but I don't think I really properly targeted it until... I started working with our therapist because that was such a tough aspect for me to, to deal with and to manage. And, you know, I, as a person, you know, I, I couldn't kind of go completely, like I couldn't cut it down slowly. I couldn't, for instance, exercise for a certain amount, half the amount I was normally doing and stop. Um, I had to kind of literally go cold Turkey in order to, yeah um to stop it was easier for me but I think that all depends on personality
1: okay so did you try to just cut back initially and then realize no this has to go completely for me to like sever the time
0: yeah because I tried to I tried to cut back but it just didn't make me feel good at all like it I felt I hadn't achieved everything that I wanted to have achieved and yet I still had to put myself through that certain amount of exercise so I felt like I didn't get I got the worst of both that was in my own Uh that was in my own experience I think for other people probably cutting back slowly will be really beneficial so definitely this is something you have to discuss with your treatment team but for me that was something for me that I had to just kind of go cold turkey I had to do nothing um I remember my therapist said you can't do anything no movement and I was like wow how am I going to do that
1: And it felt horrible, I guess.
0: Oh, it felt really, really awful. It felt really terrible. Um, But then at the end of it, I was actually quite proud of myself for the fact that I did it. And when I Mm -hmm. did then introduce it, you know, a couple of times a week and compared to nothing, it felt like, oh, this feels imbalanced. This is actually
1: enjoyable. Was it almost like hitting a reset kind of thing to then be able to think about how am I actually going to move now? Like you needed to take it away completely to then be able to make a decision about what movement would look like.
0: Exactly. And it felt like more of a choice. Like, and it felt that I can do it or I can't do it. I've done it. I've, it's happened before where I haven't done it and everything's been okay. Kind of like when in your eating disorder, you eat and you realize the world still keeps going around everything still keeps ticking along it's not as bad as what you imagine will happen it's kind of like with the exercise as well when I stopped I realized it wasn't as bad as what I expected
1: mm-hmm. um and that means I can choose it yeah okay I imagine though like with the stopping if um there's body image driving it for example then say you're you're like tied to your body looking a certain way. And so you're using exercise to keep your body looking a certain way. And then there's that fear of like, if I stop, my body will change kind of thing. Like with with facing all fears in recovery, I I feel like some things you face and the thing you thought was going to happen doesn't happen. You know, you have this like terrible image in your head and then you get there. You're like, Oh, actually that was wrong. Like the thing I was scared of doesn't happen. But sometimes the thing you're scared of almost does happen But then it's learning that, like, actually, I can cope with this, like, it's bearable. And like, you have learned other ways to cope with your mood. Like, maybe you thought, oh, my God, I will never be able to cope with anxiety if I don't exercise. But then you learn new emotional coping tools, you know, that replace it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think even with body, like, you know, my body changed as well. If you go from exercising compulsively to not exercising hardly at all, like, of course, your body's going to change as well. So, yeah, that fear did happen um obviously not to the extent that I expected it to happen but something did change and the same with the anxiety some you know I had to learn other ways to cope with it but I realized that is it worth it is it worth Mm -hmm. it is it worth me doing this compulsively is it literally worth me you know serving exercise you know being a slave to it basically for the rest of my life for what for what Is it worth it? It, What is the outcome of that? Because my body's not going to stay this way forever. I'm going to get old. You know, that's going to happen. I can't stop the time. Um, But what I can do is live in line with my values, have the kind of life that I want. And I am so glad. Yeah, I'd much rather exchange exercise for the life that I have now, for the friends that I have now, for the relationships with my family, for my kids, you know, for the fact that I'm able to show up the way I am. I would, of course, in a heartbeat, do that now and I but in the moment it's tough it's tough to realize that but it's just think what are you getting out of it
1: yeah so yeah that almost like cost benefit analysis like looking at the sacrifices you're making to exercise in the way you are and also what you stand to gain in life from changing your behaviors with exercise exactly so that kind of helped you to make the decision and to stand by it to stop kind of thing
0: Mm -hmm. and and as you see the changes happening you see like glimmers of what recovery is going to be like where you just are able to do things more spontaneously or flexibly or your maybe your physical health starts improving and that really gives you that kind of spurs you on to keep going
1: is it that bit as well of like the behavior has to change first you can't wait until you're ready or until it makes sense or until you know exactly what life's going to look like it's like you have to kind of jump in with a bit of blind faith change your behavior like our therapist said it to us all the time and then thoughts and feelings change after kind of thing but the behavior has to change first
0: that's exactly what what it is you know I could I kept thinking this is something I need to do I need to cut down I need to stop I need to relax my body for a multitude of reasons um but I couldn't just think myself there I had to do it I had to feel the discomfort and that kind of like voice in your brain saying, do it, do it, do it, kind of sh- oppose that voice, distract, feel the feelings and realize it's okay. And you just repeat, 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 repeat. And you know, and you're kind of teaching your brain and your body. It's okay not to do it.
1: And what about um the kind of food side of things? So like spoke a little bit about mood and about um, body image in the way it's connected to exercise. But what about like, did you kind of see exercise as the flip side of the coin to food? Interesting you ask this, actually,
0: I think I felt like if I exercised, I needed to continue to eat in a certain way, like in in a kind of orthorexic way for the rest of the day, because I'd started my day in this kind of, quote unquote, healthy way. So I needed to continue that. So actually, the weirdest thing is when I relaxed on the exercise, I kind of it actually helped with the food aspect as well it helped me to like challenge my ideas of perfectionism and it just made me yeah just be able to be a bit more spontaneous with things honor my hunger listen to my hunger cues a bit more as well um and yeah not feel like i've got to exercise to eat a certain thing it just mm-hmm. it challenged so many aspects just stopping wow. it i don't i just think it it is a kind of very rule based um activity and stopping that had like a ricochet on different aspects of my eating oh, too wow
1: that's really interesting yeah mm. okay did it feel a bit like you had to keep the focus on the food at the same time so it wasn't like a compensatory I'm cutting back on the exercise and now I'm going to use the food to control my anxiety around it do you know what I mean like did you have to sever the tie like separate the idea of food and activity being connected you know what I
0: can so see why that would happen to other people that they would feel like they've got to eat and I know this from talking to clients that they feel like if they haven't exercised they can't eat something and I guess there was an aspect of that for me there was some elements of that for me but I wasn't I because I was very orthorexic in my eating it wasn't like if I exercise I get to eat I don't know something very challenging it wasn't like that but for me I think that stopping the exercise it was kind of like the base of like what my eating disorder was you know, laying on that, breaking that actually challenged so many of my eating parts. It, it was like, this isn't your identity anymore, Sphere. You're not, you don't have to be a compulsive exerciser anymore. Ah, so if I don't have to be that, I don't have to be this orthorexic eater either. Like, just chill out. It made me chill out, actually. It made me just be like, oh, you're human. You're not
1: perfect. Okay. Yeah. Um Yeah, like shook the core foundation kind of thing. Like a house of cards and then the rest of the cards kind of tumbled down.
0: I think so, yeah. I think that's how it was exactly, yeah.
1: I guess this highlights as well how different it is for different people, isn't it? Like some people will use exercise in one way, others in another. It might be more mood related or body related or food tied or whatever. And I guess that's where like getting that treatment and having like your own approach kind of thing, like understanding what it is for you and stopping it in a way that you're not compensating around it that kind of thing
0: definitely it's so important definitely to get that treatment team in place for you and it is so different and personal and because you know we've all had grown up with such different experiences and it is a genetic component to an eating disorder but that shows up in such a different way for all of us
1: yeah yeah and like the environment you're in and stuff as well will probably influence and yeah speaking about environment actually how did you find that with the comparison to other people so maybe if you're stopping movement I don't know if your husband carried on playing any sport or something like that or you had friends who talked about the gym did you did you find it difficult doing it in a public place that wasn't doing the same thing as you
0: oh gosh that was really tough that was really 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 difficult um yeah like so my husband has a very thank god he has a very good relationship with food and movement and he will you know go to play football a couple of times with his friends or he goes to golf Um, or if even if he went to the gym, it would really stress me out. It was a massive trigger. Like when I was stopping, it was such a trigger for me because I felt like, oh, he's going, I should be going. Especially if he would go and then we'd go out for lunch or something like that. And it was the idea of, oh, well, he, you know, we're eating the same, and he's been to the gym and I haven't, and that was really really tough to get over. Honestly, the only way through it is to just sit with discomfort, not act on those feelings and realize like different bodies, different parts. He has a different genetics, you know, to me, he has different experiences to me and I can't do exactly what he can do, you know, and you just kind of have to accept that as a point of just accepting that we have different ways to to deal with movement um Mm -hmm. and mine cannot be the same as his and my body doesn't know what his body is doing so were you gonna say that yeah yeah exactly it's true though isn't it like why base it on what somebody else is doing it it doesn't make any sense but when you've got when you're in the moment and you're
1: challenging that it's it's tough yeah your brain does a massive comparison but your body like you said does not have a clue what the person next to you is eating or doing and it certainly doesn't manage its weight based on it No. Or anything to do with your own body, like.
0: No, exactly. Um, But yeah, it was, it was really tough.
1: It's hard, isn't it? Just that having the blinkers on and just looking at your own path, like just focus on me, like all that's relevant is me and what I'm doing kind of thing.
0: Mm, Certainly. Did, did you have
1: anything like this at all, Meg? Yeah, I'd say exercise was never really an issue for me. Like it never really took hold in any way which in a way I find quite surprising, honestly, but I'm grateful for it. Like hearing you, it's so difficult as part of recovery and it is such a challenge to overcome and break away from. So in that respect, I am really grateful. And I, I wonder if some people listening will be similar to me and that exercise has never been an issue for them as part of their eating disorder. And just, of course, like in no way does that make your eating disorder less valid if that's your experience, like you're not worse or lazier or anything else comparative, like an eating disorder is already such a hellish existence. You don't want to throw more hell into the mix. And I think in that same way, I'm quite aware that it could potentially be an issue for me. Like at some point in my life, I think I'm not naive enough to think, oh, that's just never been a problem. Like I've no doubt that I've got the genes for it. For example, like looking at how I became restrictive around food so like for that reason I'm kind of careful around how I choose to engage in exercise kind of like in I guess in that I wouldn't join like groups very focused on exercise like something like CrossFit I wouldn't really do like I wouldn't really do running um like I like hiking I like paddleboarding I like going out for a walk with Bertie and with Freddy but I kind of like things that are out in nature that are sociable that are fun where the intention just isn't related to my body aesthetic um yes I'd say I'm like grateful that it hasn't been an issue but I'm definitely conscious not to ever let it become like it could almost be like a sneaky relapse you know if I started exercising like even if I began completely innocently like I say with my genetic makeup my history my health legacy like if there's a potential that at some point it could become a problem for me I just I just would obviously would not want that to happen and I'd never like I would say I protect my recovery in that way is how I'd say it. like just how I protect myself around food I would also protect myself around exercise even though it hasn't been an issue for me in the past I think that's really
0: important to never become cocky with any aspects of eating disorder recovery because we know from research that eating disorders can change and morph and new rules can form. So I think it's really important to always be conscious of, is this ruling me? Have I got control of it? Or has it got control of me? Has it got control over me? Or have I got control over it? So I think it's amazing that you're staying conscious Mm. of that. And you're aware of that to Mm. protect your recovery.
1: Yeah. And like you've said, like, what's your intention behind exercise, I guess. And even if it's never been a problem before, like just always making sure your intention behind it is just like a joy of movement or a joy of being in nature or of something sociable and not letting it ever uh, tiptoe into that, anything like body or aesthetic related. Absolutely. How did you find it Um, with other people seeing your exercise routine and like exercising around other people versus like when other people weren't watching you exercise like did that play a different part like how public it was or how on stage it was
0: Yeah, I was actually really, really embarrassed about it. And you know what? It's weird because we've spoken about this before in terms of eating and I wasn't really embarrassed about the way I was eating in terms of restricting. But that's interesting
1: interesting as well, because I personally was horribly embarrassed about restricting. Like a big drive for me was to try and make it look like I wasn't.
0: Yeah, I remember you saying that. And I remember not really being that embarrassed about it too much yeah I can't I think I just thought I was really healthy strange Mm. um but yeah no it was with the exercise I was I think after it got from I go out for a run and that looks quite healthy when it became very obsessive and compulsive and I had to do it alone and I didn't want anybody to see me it became really secretive that's Mm. when it became um yeah, really embarrassing for people to see. And that's one of the anxieties I had about getting married. I thought, oh my gosh, my husband's going to actually see how compulsive I am with it. Um, but yeah, I think, and you know, I it's really bad to say, but I remember thinking, oh, I'm so looking forward to him traveling because then I can exercise as much as I want. I can restrict as much as I want. Um, actually, there was a time where he was going to go to England. And so I had these plans to do, All of these very eating disorder behaviors, and he got turned away at the turned back at the airport because something was wrong with his passport, which has never happened before and never happened since. And he came back, and he had to. Can you imagine? He was going for Christmas. I chose not to go home for Christmas. Um, He was going back for a, a wedding. I chose not to go back for Christmas so I could stay home and do my eating disorder behaviors how
1: sad I anyway. feel so sad hearing that it's just because I know you now I didn't even know you in your eating disorder so I just know who you are and I know that is so not you
0: no it's not me at all like and I, anyway he got turned back and I just think that was such such fate and I think it's such a blessing that he got he came back because I didn't engage in those behaviors it was actually a time when I really really challenged the behaviors because I realized how, I don't know, it just made me realize how bad it had got. Um, so yeah, but it was, yeah, there was a lot of kind of secret, secret, you know, making, telling lies sadly, which is probably the worst that you could possibly ever do in the first year of your marriage. But I guess when you are on that recovery journey, you start realizing it's really not serving you. You're not recovering for somebody else. You're recovering from you. So you have to be accountable to you. Um that doesn't mean like reach out to people when you're struggling or when you're finding it hard definitely and they can help motivate you and certainly my husband my friends my family did that for me. Um but they can't be around you 24/7. There is no surveillance camera. You have to be accountable to you. You have to cling on to your why. You have to cling on to those tools and techniques, your distraction, find other ways to deal with anxiety and know it's worth it in the end kind of surrender and have that faith
1: Mm. yeah I guess you probably didn't want to be living that double life like feeling like you're one person for your husband and doing other things behind the scenes yeah exactly
0: yeah exactly and I valued our relationship more than my eating disorder but it was just so hard to act on it for so long but yeah got to that point eventually (laughs)
1: Right, this might be a really like naive question. And it's probably the same as people saying to me, like, oh, but didn't you get hungry? And me being like, oh my God, an eating disorder is about so much more than that. But did you not feel like tired from doing this much activity? Like the thought to me of kind of setting out setting alarms, pushing myself out in weather, getting myself up when I don't want to, making myself do things I don't want to, which sounds that it already sounds daft saying it in my head. <laughs> given what I did do around restriction with food. But yeah, did did it not feel like that for you?
0: Yeah, of course. It's not a naive question at all because now when I think back on it, I just think, how did I do that? Why did I do that? Setting my alarm at crazy times, trying to fit it in, going through injuries. It was just such a challenge. It was so difficult, but it's just that drive when you've got the eating disorder. It's really difficult to stop that compulsive nature to just do it. You feel like you have to do it um so it's it's such a it's such a difficult one to come around but I think as we've mentioned before I think it's about feeling the discomfort when you're recovering and kind of going through and sitting with that feeling and doing it anyway but it's really hard even when I think back on my restricting food like how did I do that or you know with Mm -hmm. cutting out massive um like food groups from my diet like how did I do that it's such a strange thing and I think that's like as you're recovering it's almost like you're getting part of you back again you're getting Mm -hmm. you you're getting that rational part of you back again it's like you're driven by the eating disorder part of you so much um that you Mm -hmm. kind of like you've got blinkers on you can't see what's what what actually makes sense
1: I wonder if listening to that as well it might almost sound scary for people Mm -hmm. um so I, I know like for myself with restricting, there was almost a fear that I'd lose the ability to restrict. So I didn't almost want, I, like, I didn't want to introduce certain foods because I thought, oh my God, I'm going to get dependent on them. Like I almost didn't want to get to the point of recovery because I was scared that then I'd lose all these abilities that I'd built up around like restriction. I wonder if that's similar around exercise.
0: Yeah, I totally, I get that. But you think that you're free right now, but you're not you're in the worst part of control. You're you're really, really reliant on exercise. And that is worse than being able to choose it when you want to. Don't do it when you don't want to. And it's it this is not an ability. You, mm-hmm. You're being controlled by your eating disorder right now. You're not in control. You get control when you step back from it and you take a pause from it and you realize you don't need it anymore and you can choose it when you want it and you choose mm-hmm. when you don't want it. That's the real control. That's the real ability. That's the real superpower. Right now is not a superpower. It t- It makes you feel like you've got this superpower. Nobody else can do what you can do, but you're not in control. You can't choose whether you want to do it. You have to do it.
1: Yeah. And I guess you're so scared to lose this one thing that's kind of become everything like it's become quite exclusive in your life. But as you do, other bits of life can move in to take its place. So it's kind of scary in early days of recovery because you don't know what's next. You don't know what's going to fill this void that your eating disorder is going to leave or what life's going to look like. But now, like for us on the other side, like I would never go back you know I would never give up on the things I've gained in the place of my eating disorder because they're so much more meaningful to me I get so much more from them I value them so much more like when I look back on my life those are the things like the way I live now is how I'm gonna like remember my life with fondness and you know
0: Exactly. You've replaced it in the most beautiful way. It's like our analogy, isn't it? The itchy jumper analogy that we were taught in our therapy, the idea that you've got to take off that itchy jumper and feel cold, and then you can find the jumper that is actually comfortable and fits you nicely. Um, You've got to take off that itchy jumper of the exercise Mm -hmm. and feel uncomfortable and feel the anxiety and feel just who am I? And then you'll find the jumper that fits you and that is in line with your values and the way that you want to live.
1: So that helps. It makes sense to me as well. So yes, you're tired from the exercise. You don't really want to be doing it. So it's itchy in the analogy, but still it is a jumper. It's, it is clothing. It's what you've known. You're clinging to it. It's keeping you warm. So it's that fear of taking the jumper off because you're then exposed for a period and you don't have that jumper on before like life moves in to fill the place of eating disorder before you try on new jumpers kind of thing.
0: Exactly. You have to take the jumper off that has been, you know, helping you in a way deal with anxiety. Okay. Thank you, itchy jumper, for doing everything you've done. But now it's time for me to take it off and to figure out a more healthier Mm -hmm. way of dealing with it. Yeah.
1: And Karine, our therapist, does say that, doesn't she? She says, Well done. You found a way to cope. Like you found a solution. You were trying your best to find ways to get through life but now you've got to a point that it's not compatible with life and it's not fulfilling and it's not giving you the life that you want to live kind of thing.
0: That's exactly it. Be self-compassionate with yourself for using that, but now it's time to move on from it so that you can live in the life that you want.
1: And what does your relationship look like with movement now? Have you been able to kind of get back to moving your body in a way that feels better doesn't control you aligns better to your values that kind of thing
0: yeah absolutely I think I mean you know Meg like now when we've got like little ones it's like uh, you know life is very busy and and routines will always go around them and I think I, I say that with so much gratitude that I can actually fit my routine around them I think you know after you've been in a place where it's your routine or the highway you feel grateful for being able to do that so I feel you know they will always come number one. But I also, you know, I do often, you know, on we go for an evening walk with my husband, not every night, but often we'll do that a few times a week and it's a really good way to connect and talk. And I'm definitely not marching ahead of him. We're connecting and talking and not thinking about the pace or anything like that. Um, I might, you know, take the kids up to the pool and have a little paddle. Like I definitely like to get back into a bit of Zumba again we talked about maybe doing a Zimba class together.
1: We definitely do a Zimba class together. Oh. I went the other week for the first time in years and years and years and I loved it it's so, so fun much. oh my god it was so fun
0: <laughs> oh it's so fun it's just like lovely to laugh at yourself and I think that's a really cool thing to do as well because as well my exercise component was so perfectionist everything had to be perfect you go to a Zumba class where you don't know the choreography you're going to go <laughs> left when people go right and it's like but you laugh at yourself right and yeah. you don't know what's coming up next you don't know the calories burn you don't know the song that's coming on yeah you know it next
1: it's yeah it's funny you say that because I was watching the instructor and I think I had a bit of a crush on her if I'm honest she was so incredible how she was moving I was just like Uh, wow that looks so amazing and so then I was like really into it like yeah here we go I'm gonna do this too and then I looked in the mirror and caught sight of myself and I was like what is that (laughs)
0: Oh, like, oh. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm laughing because I can relate to that. Like when you're dancing in front of them, you think you are this like Spanish dancer. Wait, oh, yeah, it was a hit god. I
1: was like, Here we go. so <laughs> I saw it. I thought, oh god, don't look in the mirror. Don't look in the mirror. Um,
0: yeah, but everybody around you thinks they are
1: too. So it's really funny. Um, well, so I did yeah. look at the room as well, and I was like, we're all very, very awkwardly <laughs> trying to copy this amazing dancer <laughs> in the front okay but I really want to do so this fun. and I love that everyone just embraced it as well yeah. I was like we're all awkward as shit like we're just giving it a go <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it's so many lessons to be learned in that isn't there and it's just such a laugh and it's that's what's movement's meant to be is just like having just a bit of a physical like a bit of a move a bit of a laugh, a bit of enjoyment. Mm. It's not meant to be perfection,
1: you well, know? Yeah, even, yeah, thinking about this now. So I went to one Zimba class, loved it. I was like, great, I'm going to keep going to this. And then the week after, we've just started sleep training with our mm. baby, Freddie. Um, and his nap time is now over the time that that class was. So I haven't been back but it not, it's like not in a way that's bothered me, you know, like it just doesn't fit in with life at the moment. And Freddie comes first in his nap time. And then like you and I, if we could find a class at another time on another, another day, it'd be so fun to go together. I'd love it. But yeah, let's plan that, that in like rule bound or compulsive or no, exactly. That's, that's the key. Like literally what you just said, the fact
0: that it doesn't fit in with your life anymore. It wasn't a consideration until probably you thought, Oh yeah, I can't really go today. Oh yeah, well. I'm never thinking mind. about it now.
1: We're talking about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. So I think that's that's the difference, isn't it? And mm,
1: I've heard people say um if there was a particular like sport or movement or exercise that they did that was kind of eating disorder driven, that in recovery to almost like switch it. So if you did something on your own inside, going outside and doing something as part of a team, you know, like really breaking that association. I don't know. Does it feel easy that you might like slip back into what you did before? It's like a bit too connected to go back to what you did before.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't go back to running personally because um physically I can't like physically. I've still got, you know, my body hasn't 100 percent recovered from all of that damage done before. Unfortunately, I can walk, obviously, but it's it's definitely something like say I started running again. I'm pretty sure I'd very quickly get an injury any anyhow for me it's it's just not something that I want to go back to I've not got the best of memories from it I don't think it's something that was serving me in the best way I don't think it put me in the right mindset and just how we protect our recovery with food like you have to protect your recovery with exercise you know so I don't I'm not gonna go running I'm not gonna be going to the gym and doing solo exercises or calorie counting or writing down how long I've ran for or exercise for because that's something that were eating disorder behaviors were red flags for me when I look back and realize that that was leading to a problem so they're not things I'm going to intentionally engage in now I'm going to intentionally stay away from those things and do things that weren't part of my eating disorder if I want to move
1: mm mm-hmm. And I guess you'll live in a world where other people will freely engage in those activities. Like you might have friends who talk about going running, but I guess that different bodies, different paths, knowing that that's not for you anymore. Like you're not a person who can engage in that again for you personally.
0: Yeah, exactly. Initially, it used to like, literally, I felt my blood boiling (laughs) when people would do things. Yeah. When people would do things and I couldn't do it, I was like, (gasps) and it made me, yeah, really, really triggering. And I was like, I need to do something right now. I mean, like. (laughs) I'm not in competition with other people. It's 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 such a strange thing or when my husband did it. But now I can say to him, if he goes to football, like, oh, have a good time. Mm-hmm. I have no intention of wanting to go for an evening exercise. I'm going to just chill here. And I'm grateful that I can do that. And it is different bodies, different paths. That's for him. He loves going to football. He loves it. It's not he's not trying to burn calories. He's actually just trying to have a good time with his friends. And that's mm-hmm. all there is to it, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about the intention behind things, I think. But realizing also there might be people in your life who are exercising because they want a certain body or they want to burn calories or they're doing it because they're following some new fitness regime. And you have to say to yourself kind of like, that's them, that it's not you. And you don't also, you don't need to convince them out of it. If you've seen the light and you've realized it's not for you, not always are we ready to get into a battle with somebody else. And it can be just be a, like, okay, good for you. You know, yeah. and you just have something, a response that you know, is going to kind of get you out of that mindset of competing with them and then talk about something else. It's not good mm-hmm. to engage in a massive conversation with them about their movements.
1: Yeah, I totally get that. You don't always just want to justify it in your head. Like, oh no, it's okay. It's healthy for them. They're okay with it, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they're not. They might also have an unhealthy relationship with anything like food, exercise, any of them. But again, doesn't mean you need to, like, what was the cost on your life for doing it? What do you stand to lose to doing it? What have you gained through not doing it? And that's what's important to you kind of thing. Exactly. So Sophia, thank you so much for talking about this and like opening up, being vulnerable, talking about the things that have helped you. Like, hopefully it's helpful for other people listening as well. And just, do you have any kind of advice for people if they're out there relating to some of the things you're talking about or feeling in the same kind of position with movement and exercise?
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Meg. Um, If any of this resonated with you, or if you think that you've got a problem with exercise, please, please reach out to a professional. It's so important to reach out to um, a therapist or just starting to get a treatment team together. You deserve to live without it.
1: I guess that idea that it's subjective as well like it's not oh well hers was worse than mine or my friend does more than me or something like that like if it's impairing your life
0: that's exactly it is it impairing your life is it something that you got anxiety around stress around is it feel you know those things that I said in the beginning about it being compulsive solo based based on numbers you know exercising despite Anything that's going on physically with you or in your life, can you adapt and be flexible around it? If you can't do those things, and I'm sure many other aspects there are to it, I think there is something deep inside you that knows that that would be that it is a problem that you need to get help with. So please do, please do. You can do it. You can. I never thought I'd be able to do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Nice. Um. Yeah. And then just having different, when you start that journey with your treatment team, um, you know, make sure that you're renewing your intentions on a really regular basis, writing them, talking to friends and family about them, distract yourself, find some other ways to fill the time when you'd normally do it with something maybe that's productive or enjoyable or gives you peace or happiness or helps you ease your anxiety. Um, and remember, this isn't easy initially. It's not, this wasn't a quick thing. It was a process. So just trust in it, give it a go, give it a try, try and take off that itchy jumper and just see if you can find your new, more comfortable one, because it's worth it.
1: Love that. Thank you. I love that you say there about um, renewing your incentives, like practicing them daily, writing them, saying them, because I think sometimes you think, oh, I know why Uh, it's in there. I know it. (laughs) but it's amazing how much you have to repeat it and come back to it and like try and hold it in front of your face as much as possible like having it in the back of your head is not it's just not at the forefront enough like it needs to literally be in front of your eyes rewritten every day
0: one other thing is to take away anything that could be a trigger for you so I don't know if you have weights in your house don't leave them out if you've got a gym timetable on your fridge take it off you know if you've got anything that could be a trigger your trainers your sportswear yes. anything like that get it out the way you don't need to see that
1: yeah but I guess like trackers on your phone and stuff like that as well if people use any apps or counting tools or follow or-
0: anybody on social media who's a fitness social media oh my take goodness it off, take it off take it off that you don't need that
1: did you do that as well did you have a bit of a cleanse of like unfollow unhelpful accounts
0: yeah and um yeah taking unhelpful accounts but for me it was a lot of like there was little things in the house that would remind me of movement so I had to get rid of them all hide everything away and it just helped me to not have that constant trigger of of seeing them Mm
1: -hmm. sounds like you totally needed to shake things up like get everything gone change your routine completely completely stop like for you this is what for me this is what worked it was something new
0: definitely and as I said like that might not be for everybody For other people it might be that they need to come off slowly but that is something that your treatment team will help you figure out and that is something that I work with my therapist on doing um
1: so yeah thanks for
0: listening to you Meg
1: I hope it helps thank you people. so much for sharing honestly it's really interesting for me too like thank you and just learn a bit more about you which I always love so thank Aww, you thank you
0: have you got any um, recommendations for resource this week
1: yeah. So I don't know how other people find this, but I feel like food side of ink disorder recovery is spoken about a lot more than the exercise side. Even on my own account, I feel bad for that because people do ask me about exercise, but I haven't had the experience of it. So I'm not really able to talk about it in that way. Um, but I have listened to Tabitha Farrar a lot on her podcast, on her YouTube videos. Um, she talks about her experience with exercise A lot and stopping and what her movement looks like now, that kind of thing. So I think she's a great person in that kind of area.
0: She's wonderful. Yeah. She was really helpful actually for me as well. I watched a lot of her videos when I was recovering. Good recommendation. Oh,
1: that's great.
0: For me, it's Renee McGregor, who is going to be a guest on our podcast show actually coming up. She's got a podcast called Train Brave, where she talks to different professionals and also kind of unpicks different aspects of exercise. She does Work with athletes as well herself. Um, she has a clinic in Bath where she does that, but she is a wealth of knowledge, so it's worth checking out her podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Sophia, for sharing everything that you have. Thanks,
0: Meg, for listening to me and helping me be able to share it in such an open way. Hopefully, this episode has helped somebody, and if this resonates with you at all, please
1: go out and seek help. Yeah, I suppose people can find you as well on Instagram, can't they, and with your recovery coaching, if people are experiencing this kind of thing and are looking for some kind of really practical help with it some in the moment support i know around coaching you're kind of like available on whatsapp in between sessions and stuff as well so it's a very like on the ground way to help people with things like stopping exercise changing relationship to movement eating of recovery so yeah i suppose through instagram is that a good way for people to find you yeah
0: instagram's the best and all of our contact details will be in the show notes anyway
1: fab all right thank you so much bye Thank you for listening to the Rewired Podcast. And thank you to Taluda
0: Self, our fabulous podcast editor and producer whose details can be found in the show notes.
1: You can find me, Meg, on Instagram at megsy underscore recovery. And me, Sophia, at Sophia underscore ED recovery coach. We will use this space to share some of the things which have helped us in our own recoveries, but none of it should be taken as medical advice. If you're struggling, please seek help from a professional.